0: listening to the sports daily i'm your host reality steve thank you all for tuning in a good thursday show for you we're going to break down the cowboys and the eagles in the nfc east what each of them have coming up and why it's important for the cowboys if they want to avoid playing on the road in every game in the playoffs the bills what's going on with them we talked about it a little bit yesterday is this team going to miss the playoffs how about this deshaun watson if it wasn't bad enough that I lost in my eliminator pool, the biggest eliminator pool in all of the United States, if I lost by picking the Ravens this past weekend, come to find out yesterday they lost to a quarterback who had a fucking broken shoulder from the second quarter on and who didn't throw an incomplete pass in the second half. Great. Thanks. Really needed to hear that. C.D. Lamb did something on Sunday that's never been done in the history of football by any wide receiver ever. Who are the two best quarterbacks right now, yardage-wise, in the NFL? I could probably give you 150 guesses, and you wouldn't get it. Well, maybe you would. but. And then I'm going to talk about something I have not talked about since the season started, the NBA, in particular, the in-season tournament. We'll get to all that momentarily. So I want to start first with some NFL talk, and I talked yesterday a lot about the Cowboys and their dominance over the New York Giants on Sunday where they could have named their own score. They end up winning 49-17. It was a joke. Look, the Cowboys have won 13 of the last 14 games against the Giants. So six of the last seven years, they've swept them. Beating the Giants doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it just doesn't. They've won 13 of the last 14 against the Giants. Great. And during that time, they've won what? One playoff game in the last seven years? Maybe two, I think. I think it's two, so that means absolutely nothing. But the problem they're facing right now is: yesterday I said they're two and a half games behind the Giants. I'm sorry, forgot. By winning against the Eagles, two and a half games behind them. By winning against the Giants on Sunday, they're two games behind the Eagles because the Eagles didn't play last weekend, so the Cowboys picked up a half a game. So here they are, sitting at six and three on the season. Haven't beaten anybody good, but they are six and three. But right now they're the sixth seed in the NFL. In the NFC, they'd be the sixth seed, and they would play the three seed if the playoffs started today, which is the Niners. Now, granted, we're still eight games away from the season ending. Seeding is going to change. But as I mentioned yesterday, the Cowboys, I mean, this is a team that hasn't won, they've won five playoff games in the last 28 years, and they've never even reached the NFC championship game during the last 28 years, the last time they went to the Super Bowl. So you would think, okay, this team needs to get a first round bye, possibly, and they need to possibly at least get a home game. Well, I don't think they're getting a first-round bye because I don't think they're going to have the best record in the NFC by the end of the season, even though they are only one game out of having uh, the best record since they have three losses and the best team has, well, the Eagles have one, Lions have two. So here's the Eagles' schedule in their next three games, four games. Look at the Eagles' schedule the next four games. At Kansas City, home Buffalo, home San Francisco, at Dallas. And then if you want to go past that, at Seattle, tough five games there. But we've already talked about the fact that Jalen Hurts is twenty-five and two in his last twenty-seven starts in the regular season for Philly. So, is he really going to go one and four? Probably not. I think two and three might even be a stretch. But if he goes three and two, and they're sitting there at eleven and uh, eleven and three, the Cowboys would have to win their next five. Well, the Cowboys right now have three somewhat easy games. They play at Carolina this week, Washington on Thanksgiving Day, and home against Seattle. So assuming they win those three games, they're 9-3. and So they could be tied when they play Philly on December 10th in Dallas. So that's the big thing, is how many games are the Cowboys going to make up in these next three? They play Carolina, Washington, and Seattle, Carolina on the road, Washington, and Seattle at home, whereas... The next three games for the Eagles are at Kansas City, home Buffalo, home San Francisco. Buffalo isn't as tough as we thought, but if they split between Kansas City and San Francisco, then they'd be sitting at 10-2 and two going into the Dallas game on December 10th, and the Cowboys would be sitting at 9-3. and three. So that would be a huge game. If the Philly won that game, then they would have a two-game lead, actually three, because they'd have the tiebreaker on them and then pretty much be over because they'd have a three-game lead with four to play. And the Dallas Cowboys, after playing Philadelphia, then their next three games are at Buffalo, at Miami, home Detroit. So Philly, tough schedule the next three games, or next four games. Dallas, tough schedule right after they play Philly, the three games following that, Buffalo, Miami, on the road, and Detroit at home. So It's going to be interesting because this is something that the Dallas Cowboys, if they don't win their division, and we have a repeat winner for the first time in 18 years in the NFC East, the Cowboys don't win it. Philly's going to win it again. They're going to get the number one, number two, or number three seed. Dallas, at best, would be a five seed, and they'd be on the road. Now, the thing is, I talk about being on the road. We already know the four seed in the NFC playoffs is going to be the NFC South winner because they are so bad. That NFC South winner, just like last year when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were 8-9, and nine, that NFC South winner has a good chance of being under 500 again. So I think most teams that make the wild card desperately want that five seed because they'd basically be going on the road to New Orleans, Atlanta, or Tampa Bay. And those teams don't strike fear into anybody. I don't care who the court—I mean, Dallas went on the road last year to Tampa and were seven-point favorites against a Tom Brady-led team and spanked them. So I don't really think it matters if the Cowboys get the 5 seed and play the uh, play the NFC South winner in the first round of the playoffs. However, I still think they want to position themselves to where if they win that 5 seed, if they win that 4-5 matchup, they're playing the 1 seed the next round on the road. So, you know, I like I said, I while I live in Dallas, I don't care what happens to them. I don't care if they win I'm just talking about it from a fan's perspective of people who are fans of the Cowboys and just kind of laying it out there of what's coming up. You've got three easy games next. You should be 9-3 and after your next three games. You can't control what the Eagles do. The Eagles might lose their next three. I don't think they will, and you might have first place. You might have a game lead on them when you play them on December 10th, but the Phillies, the Eagles aren't losing three in a row. I'm sorry. They're not going to. Even though they are three tough games at Kansas City on Monday Night Football, you get Buffalo and San Francisco at home. They could technically win all three just because this is a team that's 8-1. and one. They're coming off a bye. They're a good team. Monday Night Game at Kansas City, wow, tough game. Yeah, it is. But they're playing a rematch of the Super Bowl. You don't think they have revenge on their minds playing the Kansas City Chiefs? You don't think they want to beat their ass after blowing a double-digit lead in the Super Bowl at halftime? They do. So I think it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating playoff run uh, in the NFC East. I talk about the Buffalo Bills, who are sitting right now at five and five. And right now in the AFC, the Buffalo Bills are the currently the 10th seed. They're really not even close to the playoffs right now in the AFC. And I would say, I think it's safe to say that they don't really have a particularly favorable schedule the rest of the way. I mean, if you look at the Buffalo Bills schedule from here on out home against the New York jets this week, considering the way Buffalo has played losing three of their last four to new England of all people and to Denver of all people, they already lost to New York in New York in the first game of the season, the jets to the jets. So, okay. Then they're at Philly by week at Kansas city, home against Dallas at the Chargers, and then a New England home game, which they should win, and then at Miami. Do you really think with that remaining schedule, considering the way the Buffalo Bills are playing, do you think that they're going to make the playoffs? They're currently sitting at the 10 seed. They're way behind people. The Bengals are ahead of them at 5-4. and four. The Colts are ahead of them at 5-5. Five and five. Bills are also 5-5, five and five, but the Colts have the tiebreaker over the Bills – because they have the best win percentage in conference games right now clearly that can change with seven games left in the season but keep that in mind the bills are not playing well and they have a brutal schedule down the stretch you can almost cross them off as a playoff team i think you know kansas city is probably going to win the nfc west while the ravens currently lead the afc central or excuse me the um uh, AFC what North? I always, I always mix up. Damn it! I hate when I do that. No, the um, AFC North. Uh, the Ravens currently lead that at seven and three, but right behind them, Steelers are six and three, and the Browns are six and three. So that's not good. Uh, they, I mean, they're they're no lock to win it, especially after blowing a two touchdown lead, which is what I wanted to get to next. And um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it briefly right after this. I mentioned to you yesterday that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a participant, along with over nine thousand others that are in the largest survivor pool in all of the United States, and my last entry was eliminated this past weekend because I took the Ravens, and they blew a minimum fourteen-point lead three different times during the game. Come to find out yesterday, Deshaun Watson, quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, professional masseuse receiver, um, decided that. He was going to miss the rest of the season because he has a broken shoulder, not to mention a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the second quarter of that game against the Ravens. And he went 14 or 14 in the second half and led his team back from a two touchdown deficit twice. So talk about rubbing one in on me. That didn't sound right. Uh, Talking about rubbing it in (laughs) on me. I don't know if that sounded right either, but really like it's already bad enough that for the second year in a row, my I am eliminated from the largest survivor pool in all of the United States by a team that blew a two-touchdown fourth-quarter lead in Week 10. Told you about the irony of that yesterday. Now we come to find out that the team that beat the Ravens, the Browns, were quarterbacked by a guy who had a broken shoulder. What? What? And he never threw an incomplete pass in the second half? 14 of 14? Shit, I did not need to hear that yesterday. That like ruined my day. It's bad enough that I'm out of that pool and I have to hear that. Damn it. Did you know that CeeDee Lamb has been on an absolute roll for the last three weeks? In fact, he's been the best receiver in the NFL the last three weeks. You know why? Because he put up numbers that have never been put up before in the history of the NFL. CeeDee Lamb has had three consecutive weeks of at least 10 catches and 150 yards. That's never been done in the history of pro football. (laughs) I never would have guessed that. I'm not saying that those aren't big numbers to achieve. They certainly are. 10 catches for 150, three straight games. Never been done. CeeDee Lamb, first ever. Now, he did do it, one of them against one of the worst teams in football, if not the worst team in football, in the New York Giants. He did it in another one against the LA Rams, who are 3-6 and six this year. So, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him because he could have easily gone out and done barely anything, and they still could have won those games. But 10 catches, 150 yards, 3 straight games for C.D. Lamb. Pretty damn impressive, if you ask me. Did you know... If I were to tell you right now, if I were to ask you which two quarterbacks lead the NFL in passing, what would you say your answers are? Tua Tagovailoa? Geno Smith? Jared Goff? Dak Prescott? Nope. After week 10, your current passing leaders in the NFL, number one, Sam Howell, 2,783 yards, Washington commander quarterback, four and six on the season. Number 2, CJ Stroud, 2626 yards. They're 5 and 4. I mean, <laughs> the amount of money you could have made at the beginning of the season. Not saying that, hey, there's a bet out there you can even put like who's going to be leading the league in passing after week 10. I don't think there is. But these guys are on a these guys are currently on a course to possibly lead the league in passing by the end of the season. Look, assuming Sam Howell doesn't get hurt, he's going to throw for a lot of yards in every game the Redskins. I keep calling them the Redskins. I'm sorry. The Commanders play. Because they're probably going to be trailing in a lot of games, and they're going to need to throw. I think he has a good shot to win it. Now, Tua could pass him because Miami's ridiculous in offense, but they're really only ridiculous in offense when they play bad teams. So I don't know if Sam Howell and C.J. Stroud at the end of the season are going to be 1-2, but after 10 weeks, you could have asked anybody before the season to name you 10 quarterbacks that they thought might be leading the league in passing after 10 weeks, and zero of them would have had either Sam Howell or C.J. Stroud in their top 10. So I want to end the podcast today by spending a little bit of time talking about something I have not talked about all season long, and that's the NBA. We're 10 games in for most teams. Some have played 11, some have played 9, but we're basically an eighth of the way through the season. And I'm not going to sit here and talk about all the storylines and whatever. We'll get to it as the season goes on. But what the NBA is trying to do is draw your interest in the month of November because pro and college football is on and most people usually don't start paying attention to the NBA until Christmas Day when they have a quadruple header or they have five games that are all good matchups. But when they get to Christmas Day, you realize the season's already been going on for literally two months. So they're trying to get people interested early, and that's when they started this in-season tournament. I know a lot of people are acting confused about what it is. It's very easy to understand. It's no different than the World Cup. You just have your 30 NBA teams are split up into uh, groups of five teams in each conference, and they're taking the regular season games that were already scheduled for the other four ga- other four teams in your group. You're, let's say you're Team A. You play Team B, C, D, and E in the month of November, two at home, two on the road. Whatever your record is over those four games, that's your group record. And the winner of every group in each conference, the three winners in the um, Eastern Conference, three winners in the Western Conference are in, and then the best record of a team that didn't win the group, didn't win their group, is the fourth team in. Those are your eight teams that make the end-season tournament. And then those teams uh, have a game, in. they play the uh, one-place-four and two-place-three at the home court of the one and two seeds, and then those games are played. And the two winners in the Eastern Conference and the two winners in the Western Conference play, go to Vegas, I think December 7th, semifinal games are played. The East two teams play against each other. The West two teams play against each other. And then the winner is two days later in Vegas on the 9th. And that's it. And all they're doing is just trying to add interest. The one thing that they did do for people that are just like, oh, I don't get it, or what is it? is on the times that these teams are playing each other and you're playing an in-season tournament game, you've noticed that these courts all look the same, these wacky courts that have colors all over them and a giant trophy in the middle of the court and stuff like that. That is That indicates for somebody that's watching highlights or whatever, oh, this game is different. So I like the fact that they did that. This is the first year of it. They're working out the kinks. They'll figure something out maybe in future years. But for right now, when you see that court, just know that that game means, oh, they're playing a group game. They have to win this game or else they're probably screwed. Um, If you have two losses, the chances of you being the wild card or winning your group are probably slim and none. Um, The local team here, Dallas Mavericks, while they are nine and three on the season now, two of those losses were during to their group teams. They've lost to the Nuggets and they lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. So they're probably not making the in-season tournament. They're probably not making the final eight. I, you know, is the incentive there? I mean, it's still up in the air. Um, These guys are going to try because they're already games are not. There's no games are being added. Only two teams get to play one extra game this year, and that's the two teams that make the in-season tournament final. Everyone else, these are already games that they were going to play. And when those final eight play each other, The 22 teams that didn't make the end seasons uh, knockout round is what they're calling it, the one it gets to the final eight, the three conference winners and wildcard in each conference. The 22 teams that didn't make the knockout round, they'll all play each other in games to make up for the games that those two teams get, those eight teams get to play. So that's how that works to where everybody in the NBA will still play 82 games this year except for the two teams that reach the NBA tournament, in-season tournament final. They're technically playing 83, but that 83rd game, the in-season tournament final, the stats don't count for anything. Stats count for everything else except for those in terms of scoring, rebounding, assists, or whatever. Because it's an extra game there. It wouldn't be fair that they get to play an extra game. So just know that. And, you know, I have it's not like when I watch these games, I'm like, "Ooh, they're playing more intense. I mean, shit. Um, the Mavericks, <laughs> the Mavericks played the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday night in New Orleans. They had one of these two game series, this home home series where they played the New Orleans Pelicans two times in a span of three nights, both in New Orleans. They beat them like a drum on Sunday night. Both teams came back, and on Tuesday, it was an tournament game, an in-season tournament game, because New Orleans was in their group. And Sunday night, the Mavericks were up by 30 at some point during the game. They ended up winning by 13 or 14. Two nights later, same exact two teams playing on, well, I don't want to say the same exact court because the court was different since it was designed for the in-season tournament, but same exact two teams, 48 hours later, and during that game, the Pelicans were up by 30 on the Mavericks. It just kind of goes to show that NBA is all about. I know it's a cliche, but, hey, it's a make-or-miss league. Yeah, it is. It really is because you the, the example that you know, can't drive home more is that Mavericks Pelicans playing two times in a matter of three days and each one, the other one, blew the other one out and nothing changed from one game to another. Yes, Luka Doncic complained that the floor sucked, in New Orleans for the in-season tournament, there were dead spots, they were slipping, hey, both teams had to play on it, I didn't notice the other team slipping, so, um, I didn't like that excuse, but whatever the case may be, I just, we're gonna see how it goes on, I, I think, I think for the most part, once it gets to the Vegas games, the semifinals in the East and West, I think that'll be cool to watch, and I think these guys will be fired up to win, but again, is anybody going to run up a banner for being the in-season tournament winner? Maybe they might because they're the winner of the, you know, the first ever in-season NBA tournament. But at the end of the year, in the record books, every single player, every single coach, every single person associated with the NBA is going to acknowledge that, yeah, it's way more important to win the NBA championship than an in-season tournament. We get it. That's why I've never understood the real appeal to it. But I don't know. As it builds, maybe it'll become a bigger thing. I don't know. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review if you can. would really appreciate it. Pass it along to your friend, friends. Let them know about it. Um, we'll be back tomorrow again with another Sports Daily. So thanks again for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.